You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Hi. Hey, Morag. Nice to connect again. How has your been? It has been fabulous. Let's see, I've been to Oklahoma. I have been at or Oklahoma City and Watonga, Oklahoma, lots of places in Oklahoma and uh, California. And tomorrow I head to the UK. What about you? Well, I just was on a whirlwind tour myself. I was out in California in Silicon Valley doing some work with uh, some longtime clients there in the uh, storage space and then went from there to uh, Philadelphia and then back here. So... Oh, and then I'm winging off to Dubai a couple of times in the next uh, in, in the next month or so. So, hectic, hectic, hectic. See, leadership development, it's needed across the world. Love it. Really, really is. And just before I went out to California, I was in Atlanta with Duke Corporate Education, who did a phenomenal one-day program uh, for uh, training expo, the training conference that was there. And it was just really, really terrific. We had a wonderful time, met some fabulous people. And I have to say that Duke did an absolutely wonderful job of creating an experience for people of what it's like to to really think through uh, uh, new strategic approaches to things and, and really zero in on the right questions and mm-hmm. how to really pass leadership around. It was really great. I was thrilled to be there and I was thrilled to be part of the program. So Talk what was, what was one of the things that resonated for you then that made you go, huh? Well, you know what I really loved? Uh, that's such a great question. I loved the, uh, Palobus, which was a, actually a music company that does improvisation, a dance company that does improvisation, and it really uses their improvisation and dance experience to help people understand how leadership for the 21st century really works. And I thought that was mm-hmm. very eye-opening. And then the other one was the whole network experience and how you can really see, it, it really changes all the thinking about how you think about talent in an organization, because as you well know, all of the talent practices are out of the 20th century in the industrial mode, right? Yes, indeed. I'm, I'm looking forward to today's conversation because my last two weeks have all been focused around the human connection and more specifically emotional intelligence. So whether that's uh, working in a well field in oil and gas or I was with HR professionals yesterday in California, the challenges they have about creating an engaged workforce, how do you develop new managers, how do you coach or attract and develop uh, millennials and the next generation workforce, it all comes down to engaging hearts and minds. So that's been fun. So that leads us to our guest today, which I'm very excited to have Michael Chavez, who is the newly appointed, I guess, the last six months or so, uh, CEO for Duke Corporate Education. And and Michael has a really wonderful long history in this area. In fact, I worked with him, with, with, with Michael at HP, where Duke helped us put together a really an award-winning leadership development program there that just was a game changer for the company. And so, Michael, I he and I were together in Atlanta, and I'm so happy to have you on the show. 
thanks so much for having me, Lyndon Morag. It's great to be on. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that came up, and this is why you're 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 so timely with us, because Morag and I talk a lot about the heart of leadership and the emotion of leadership. And one of our six factors in our book is purpose. And yes. The leadership rev- that the digital revolution has driven and is driving the human revolution. And I see that you have a new book, the working title, not yet out, but I'd love you to talk to us about it. The Purpose Revolution, Rehumanizing Leadership and the Organization. So tell us about this book. Thanks, Linda. Well, yeah, you know, this this book actually is the genesis of a conversation between one of my colleagues, Sudanshu Palsule, who's based in Cambridge, UK, and, and me, that we had over the course of about 20 different deliveries for the same company in Switzerland over the course of about 18 months. And what we, we, had, we had a really amazing client with this amazing um, shift that they were going through. And You know, it's one of those situations where a large, here you have a large pharmaceutical company in Europe that's trying to reconnect with sort of the essence of who it is. And, and, you know, it started out as a challenge around strategy. And we realized as we were going through this program that this wasn't really a strategy problem that this company had. They were having an engagement challenge. And that was causing it to become very difficult for them to drive the kind of innovation, the kind of growth, and frankly, the kind of patient impact that they wanted. This group of senior leaders over the course of many iterations, we, we, we talked to them about um, their, their organization and we talked to them and, and, and they talked to us about their leadership and my colleague Sudanshu and I, over, over many conversations at the end of this program, were really discovering that the real essence of what this company was going through was something that we were hearing across multiple clients. And that was that strategy is great, but it's certainly not the most important thing. That's one. Two, the shelf life of strategy right. is is shortening. And in <laughs> fact, we, we started to call it the milk effect. You know, it has a sell-by date, right? right. Strategies right. strategies are, are are becoming like milk. You know, they you need them and they're great and then they go off. And that's speeding up. But also, we had this other thing going on that said that, that employees, staff members, creative people need to understand not just what and how, but why. And that led to this conversation about purpose. And we also, by the way, realized that another big theme of our conversations was that the way we conceive of organizations, and I know you, you both have written about this, is, is, is just flawed. It's, it's based on an industrial revolution model that conceives of the human being as a person who can disaggregate his or her effort into units of production that can then be made more efficient by managers who watch over them and make sure they stay on task, right? This works brilliantly if you're in a very linear, predictable, and uh, stable industry, and I don't know any of industry today that's really fits those characteristics that much. Oh, indeed. Maybe one or two, right? right? But when you're in pharmaceuticals and you're dealing with substantial regulatory change, increased challenges uh, of globalization, pricing issues, uh, in, uh, inherently more difficult diseases to conquer and challenge, you're now no longer in purely an efficiency game. You are in an adaptive 
challenge to engage minds and hearts around really difficult problems. And that means that your whole way of managing and engaging people has to shift. Yeah. So we're starting, we started to realize that there's a really sense of a lack of purpose in most of the clients that we are working with. Strangely, it wasn't always that way, we also discovered, that many oh. of them had really profound senses of purpose early on in their existence. In many companies, it was founder-led. So what's happened is we've sort of let that bleed slowly out of our organizations as we became obsessed with efficiency and globalization and throughput and all these great things that, by the way, you know, I learned to do in business school and they're mm-hmm. wonderful things. And, you know, it lifted us out of poverty in many countries and did great, but it's not sufficient to deal with the challenges going forward. So that's the why behind the why. That's the why behind purpose. Why, why write about it? Yeah. You know, the other thing that we learned is that there's a lot out there written about leadership purpose, my own sense of purpose, and that's critical. But there's not a lot out there written or discovered about how organizations need to go about building purpose. And that's what we became curious about. And that's what our research is trying to uncover, is how do you actually go about re-embedding or re-sort re, um, um, of excavating a purpose out of, out of, yeah. And it, it, that came out of a client, actually. Uh, they used that word excavating. Two clients of ours used that word specifically. I didn't even see it. It was an interesting finding. This sense of having to go and sort of reconnect with the inherent essence of who we are as not just a means of engaging minds and hearts, but also as a way of dealing with this big uncertainty that we're all facing. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, so when we were talking, you uh, we're talking about how or the role of purpose in leadership. And it was yeah. a very fascinating conversation. And I think our audience would love to hear your thinking around that, Michael. Well, you know, it's 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 really interesting because uh, leaders today are having to spend more and more of their time doing things that are the antithesis of of that of that industrial revolution sort of overseer model, right? Um, I ask a question of, of of leaders that I work with when I'm in a program. Uh, Every single time, I always ask them if you imagine that your leadership energy is like a, um, like a, like a battery, like a, um, a, 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 your your smartphone battery, where you know, sort of by the end of the day, you're redlining, right? And right. you know, because it takes effort and energy to lead people, you know. So I ask them at the end of the day, how much of that energy gets expended by leading people over whom you have no direct authority? Now I'm talking to very senior people. Typically, I'm talking to people who are maybe at most one, uh, two levels below the C-suite. And even at the most senior levels, I routinely hear on average that that number is something north of 75%. Okay. So what does that mean? That means we are now basically calling leadership an influence model. And the re- that's not surprising when you look at what's happening in the world, but it is sort of surprising when you hear them say it. it it's, it's not surprising because all the big problems that organizations are facing are multiple. They're coming at us in new ways and they're new problems. And so they don't fit into the nice, neat categories that business schools typically have, like finance or marketing. You don't just have finance and marketing and strategy problems. You have these messy mixtures of all of them, which means that they everything becomes ultimately a people problem. You've got to coordinate effort across boundaries. 
And so leadership is becoming more, relatively more important. That's kind of our core belief at Duke Corporate Education. Well, the implication is that I, as a leader, am spending most of my time influencing people, not actually directing or you know disaggregating tasks. So that means that I need to figure out how do I get people motivated? And one of the things we know about motivation is you really don't just motivate people, you create the conditions for motivation to happen, right? And that we know is a very strong way of doing that, especially when you don't have control over their work because they're not reporting to you, is to help them see the bigger purpose that they're that we are trying to achieve, the bigger question. Why are we here and what are we trying to achieve? And that is one of the reasons why purpose is such an effective leadership tool and why it's so necessary. So what do you see as the life cycle of purpose? Is it something that uh, has an expiration date or is this something that is, once you would define your purpose, it's going to last yeah. three, five, ten years? So it's a really good question. Let me, let me, let me uh, try to answer that by suggesting the following, that first and foremost, um, like I said, uh, while I was suggesting before, purpose is sort of not something that you get a group of executives to go off and do an offsite on and then come back and do the grand reveal to the organization and say, right, here's our purpose. You know, this is what we're all here for. Um, the, you know, one of my clients, which is an, an Australian bank, um, been around for over 150 years. We're in the middle of a leadership program and we discover that in their, in this museum that we're having this cocktail party at, it's actually the history of money and banking in Australia. And they realize that they were part of the history of Australia in building the community of Australia. Mm -hmm. And it was this realization that in fact, they were there before there was a Melbourne, Australia. Okay. And they are part of this big project called Australia and this community and this sort of pioneer spirit. And it took that to make them realize that they've always been a very community focused bank. So, a partial answer to your question is if you're in the excavation of a purpose, you know, you've got this kind of long life cycle to it inherent in the idea of purpose, this sort of sense that it's this thing that's enduring. Mm -hmm. Now, that said, while it is me not meant to really be something that's changed, it's meant to be something that's fixed and stable, it does take a long time to excavate it in this process. It often takes a while. It takes a lot of iteration, a lot of socialization, and a lot of meaning making to really sort of make that purpose live. That's what we know. The other thing we know is as purpose continues to, um, it, as it gains traction, let's say, right, um, it becomes, it can take on different sort of shapes and colors to it and meaning can be added to it. So in that sense, it can actually uh, shift a little bit. And let me give you an example of this. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of interesting examples of purpose out there. Um, you know, I, I always like to start with thinking about, because I'm a Trekkie, right? So I always think about it's, it's <laughs> kind of to boldly go where no one has gone before, right? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if, if you're old Trek, it's to, to boldly go where no no man has gone before. And then they changed, changed it, which is, you know, the right thing to do. And they, they, they saved it the times. But I think of it that way. And when I was looking at this, you know, one of the instantiations of, of Nike's purpose was to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. Okay. That's not changed to my knowledge. 
it's basically about inspiration and innovation to every athlete. What has changed is that they now kind of think of the athlete differently than they did when they first crafted that purpose. They, it used to literally mean every athlete, you know, people who were athletes. And they thought, oh, that's what we're here for. We're here for athletes, and that's going to keep us, you know, um, uh, uh, focused on innovation and focused on performance. But now they've expanded that to mean, you know, everyone with a body is an athlete. Okay. So in a sense, it's changed, but it's not changed. And Mm -hmm. that, I think, is what we're finding more about purpose is that meaning evolves as we discover more and test it more with our reality and our context. But our fundamentals don't tend to shift. So that's kind of the way we're starting to think of it. That is very different than strategy, which tends to actually, you know, actually have a uh, full-blown destruction and creation cycle. Okay. now that's 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 I think a good thing because I think it's based on a more fundamental question, uh, well, but that but that's not what's interesting is it's still alive. Well, let's come back to that question when we come back. So you're listening to the Future Proof Workplace Radio Show with Linda Sharkey and myself, Morag Barrett. Our guest this week is Michael Chavez from Duke Corporate Education. Stay right with us. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in ten years, five years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. And our guest this week is Michael Chavez, CEO of Duke Corporate Education. And before the break, Michael, you were talking to us about purpose and how this is becoming the key concept within business before we get to setting strategy. So tell us a little bit more than excavating and uncovering purpose. How does a leader go about doing that? Well, it's you know, it's it. This is what's so interesting about the about the work that we're finding uh, it, it, um, through our through our interviews and through our, our research. So I gave you an example of this excavation that happened with an Australian bank and kind of discovering, kind of rediscovering who they are. There, there, there is a need really for most companies to re-examine their values, their history, their narrative, their story. Uh, to some extent, their their identity. Now, a lot of this is interesting because a lot of this is the realm, not of management or leadership, but is the realm of things like communications and, um, uh, uh, to some extent, pr- public relations. I actually find those things to be really interesting inputs into this into this process. Um, most of our client, because communicators and organizations are often really good at extracting things out of people, and that's one mm-hmm. of the reasons. We, we found that surprisingly, strategy communications and HR were actually having to work together to really uh, make this 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 process work. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, right? That there's actually this this overlap, and what we found is because purpose is so pervasive, this overlap is necessary. And you know, I, I often say to my organization, I'm not worried about overlap; I'm worried about underlap. Right. Um, so uh, this is, and it and it's true. It's, it's, it seems true to me. But but here's. We, we came up with this concept, Sudancho and I came up with this concept of, of angles. You know, since purpose is a big question, and since it's this kind of more fundamental starting point, which by the way, let's just say, is when I say fundamental, 
I mean that in a very human way. It is one of the most human things to ask, which is why are we here and you know what are we trying to do together? Um, it's the very, it's an existentialist question. It's why, why bother? Why get out of bed in the morning? And so I find that to be a really regrounding, rehumanizing kind of question for people. Mm -hmm. But you, because it's so big, we found that you really have to look at it through several, from several angles, from several points of view, right? Um, and that's to make sure that you're not over rotating for another. So there's an outside in view of purpose. In other words, the world relative to us. And then there's the inside out view, which is who are we and what do we bring uniquely as a company? And there's four C's conveniently. Um, the outside in ones are climate and customer. So climate is asking the question, what's going on in the world today that's creating an opportunity for us to be of service, for us to contribute to, the, to these problems? Um, and you know that that's a really interesting question. For pharmaceutical companies, it's often things like, uh, innovative medicine, patient need, right? Um, but but in the context of really hard to solve problems because most of the easy diseases have been dealt with, right? Those sorts of things become very relevant in that conversation. Customer says, more specifically, what do the people we serve need and want? But you getting that is a really tricky uh, thing to do because customer needs, as we all know, it, uh, one of the worst ways to uncover that is to ask them, right? Actually, yes. you have to have this anthropological kind of view of the world. And we actually work with a, an, an ethnography firm to help us to do that with clients, which, which helps us get at this idea of, of their of phenomenology, which is the experience the customers have of you. What, are, what is that saying? Or actually, with the experience the customers have of their own lives, what is that saying about their needs? Uh, and so you've Got to have, that's the outside in view. The inside out view says, all right, company and calling are the other two C's. Company says, what do we uniquely provide the world as a company? What's unique about our capabilities? What do we uniquely do? What have we always been able to deliver uniquely? And the other piece of it, a uh, point of view or angle, is calling. The calling is what, in the end, calls to our people in our organization when they are most motivated and most energized. It's a wonderful source of insight to get and uncover and excavate purpose because in most cases, your employees that are motivated are already purposeful. And so they're a tremendous source of insight. I like those four C's, actually. I think that's very, that's very interesting, uh, Michael. Uh, you know, it, it links to the other part of your conversation here, uh, which I think it would be interesting to explore a little more. You know, everybody's focusing on AI, and we've been yeah. in numerous things where everybody's focusing on AI. And, uh, you know, your perspective, more rags than mine, is that this is really about humans. This is not yeah. so much about technology. It's going to drive that human element. So I'm wondering um, what your view is uh, and, and why you're focusing on humanization. Can help our audience understand that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I had to I had to think deeply about this because this remember this this book came from this conversation we were having about humanization right. and dehumanization and humanization. And what we were noticing was, um, I, I guess I guess to summarize it, we our point of view is, you know, two hundred years from now, we'll look back on sort of somewhere around the eighteen twenties to about the mid to late twentieth century as more the blip rather than the rule in human 
um, effort, human kind of organizations and human endeavors. Uh, and I think that's because that was the period where we learned to dehumanize people and dehumanize jobs so that we could gain efficiency. And and by the way, it was a great, a great, it had great impact and it, it created lots of wealth and it created lots of well-being, but it had a, it came at a cost. And so then we entered into as machines kind of as, you know, that old economic trade-off between capital and labor became a question. Um, you know, we can think of that now today as the trade-off between human effort and automation, right? Well, historically, we've often thought of those two things as sort of at odds. So I can replace jobs with AI. I can, you know, we're talking now about the deprofessionalization of many professions because some of them, for example, certain legal functions couldn't possibly be done with an AI engine. Certainly certain travel, I mean, travel has been greatly disrupted by this and it's going to be even more disrupted by AI. So you're trading off human jobs for automation. A way to look at that, however, at a larger scale is to say that, in fact, what we're doing is we're we're, we're only replacing one robot with another in the sense that we were already doing sort of uh, fairly robotized tasks, but they were humans doing them. And so we, now that's not a necessarily a good thing to trade them off because you have social disruption. So that's a big problem. But when you think about the trade-off between human and automation, what we're starting to see is that it's not a question of less automation more human, less human, more automation. It's a question of more, more. In other words, mm -hmm. we probably need more automation in a lot of things to make the world a better place to make, to take advantage of the great promise of AI. But we, at the same time, have to remember that we need more humanity as well. In order to actually get that value, let me tell you, let me explain what I mean by that. One of our partners in this whole effort is Vivian Ming, who is uh, the CEO of, uh, of Soco, founder of Socos, which works with AI engines and, and education. And her view is, and she's a neuroscientist, and her view is the mm -hmm. job description of the future is a creative and adaptive problem solver, right? Kind of similar yep. to what we were talking about earlier. If that's the case, then what we need is automation to help us solve those problems and more creativity, which automation can't do, to help us solve that problem, design those solutions and design these bigger problems so that we direct human effort towards bigger and more challenging, more collaboratively solved problems. And mm. that's why the organization is starting to be rethought and why the workplace is changing, because we're already on that, ta that track of deeper collaboration, bigger problems to solve, more design challenges to solve, as opposed to... Uh, repetitive, uh, linear things to execute. So and so it's more Sorry. and more. Yeah, so I'm curious. I was listening to that. I was reading an article from the World Economic Forum, and they were predicting that one of the top skills for the 21st century was creative thinking, and as you've identified, problem solving. Yeah. So I'm curious, as we start to rehumanize the workplace, as we start thinking about letting go of the old industrial way of approaching organizational structure, how much are you finding you're having to go out and do the convincing or are yeah. organizations coming to you and saying, hey, either we're broken or we're on the path, help? I mean, which yeah. is it? Are you having to go and sell it or are you coming yeah, in and helping resolve it? As, as, as you both, yeah, it's, it's really tricky. Um, and here's why it's tricky, because clients know. Right, we're all, we're all in this conversation together. We're all having these conversations, clients, us, 
providers, et cetera. And so this is a very fascinating global conversation that's happening right now. Um, and so clients are saying to us, wow, do corporate education, you know, we've gone from being sort of an education provider to a really a leadership rewiring kind of um, uh, uh, firm that utilizes education and actually tries to reinvent education so that rewiring happens. Okay, so clients will hear that and hear what we're talking about in this in this show, for example, and say, wow, that's exactly what we need. And then what we do is we get there and then we find that they, the organizations have two challenges. One is muscle memory and habits. And, and so that means even though we're trying to change, we, have, we struggle with the very question we're asking you to help us with. Mm-hmm. So there's a learning about the learning that has to happen with clients. And that's one of the reasons why I think this world of client-driven solution and co-creating solutions with clients is not going away. We have to co-create because when we intervene at this level, we must be willing to sort of learn together. And because this question they're asking is a creative and adaptive problem. So the, so, uh, the medium yeah. is tested here. Yeah. But here's the thing. It's a painful process because yes. it's not like you can go to your point earlier. It's not yeah. a one day off site. You ask the right silver bullet question and ta-da, our purpose is revealed. Yeah. This is an iterative process. Yeah. So how do you help your clients to remain resilient and yet make the whole process feel speedy enough that we've got something that we can start to run with? Yeah. So the other thing we have to remember is is the efficiency side of the equation has not gone away, right? There's still a great deal of stuff that gets has to be done in the kind of the more traditional ways of operating in most businesses. So some of what we're doing, what that means is some of what we're doing is actually filling skills and knowledge gaps. So you can get wins in this, pro, in this process by um, helping clients to kind of tool up a little bit. So for example, when we talk about digital transformation, there is a lot of context setting that needs to happen. People just don't know about that that we have to catch people up up on the same would be true even in the world of finance you know we run a course called demystifying finance this is about trying to get people kind of speaking the same language so that in and of itself ha- creates some energy but to go back to your your the, the, the sort of the question that you're asking more deeply we are finding that it is really critical because of this iterative process that we're going through with our client to keep having the purpose conversation with our client. What are you trying to achieve? Why are we trying to achieve it? Why are we trying to do it in this way? The why question becomes very important for us who are on the journey of helping to embed the why question in the organizations that we're trying to change and shift. Mm -hmm. So it kind of is why all around is what happens. By the way, the other thing we have to remember about this why question is when we ask these deep questions, why, what are we trying to achieve? Why are we doing this? Why are we here? It helps us to, re- it, 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 it establishes emotional energy to become more resilient because a lot of resilience is being able to have the grit and the emotional energy to just keep trying. Uh, that's, that's kind of the big reason. Now, I also would say another part of this, which is more of a technique, is we have to chunk things down. We have to do, we we have to think when we're dealing with large-scale change efforts that involve leadership development, we have to think in terms of small experiments, constant learning and shifts, lots of feedback, lots of pivoting, not grand designs that we stick to and execute across you know, 24 months. The example I was telling you about 
with the pharmaceutical company. It sounds like that was a stable program. In fact, we changed it a lot, uh, especially in the early years. But there was a lot of shifting going on as this program evolved because we were, you know, context kept changing, we kept changing. But that's actually the way to do it. You end up you end up not de-energizing yourself if you can stay focused on purpose and if you can do lots of learning. And, it, and, and all agree that this is going to be a journey of iteration, experimentation, and rapid uh, prototyping. Yeah, that you know, comes so I, the, the means. I, I love that. And we're coming up on a break. We're going to talk more about that and how you bring the emotional side into this because it's extremely important to make that emotional connection with people. Um, we're coming up on a break. You're listening to Future Proof Workplace. Our guest today is uh, Michael Chavez, CEO of Duke Corporate Education. And we're talking about purpose, humanizing the workplace, and how to build emotion into what you do in leadership development. Stay with us. We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people, and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the Future-Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future-Proof Workplace is your wake-up call. Because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. Uh, Morag and I are talking to uh, Michael Chavez, CEO of Duke Corporate Education, actually a world leader in in developing leaders, Uh, a world leader in developing leaders. There you go, Michael. We were spending time talking about you know the, the the how strategy as we've known it is just really not an element and you really constantly have to be co-creating co-iterating iterating to see where you ultimately end up we've talked in the past too michael about the need for that emotional connection and 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 i love that because Morag, you, you you know you're off doing these wonderful things helping people really connect with that emotional side of the workplace why do you think, Michael, that emotion is such an essential aspect here? Yeah, there's. it's a great question, Linda. So a couple things that really stand out from our experience. One is we know from experience, I mean, everyone sort of knows just from their own experience that having an emotional connection is what gives people the energy for or discretionary effort. And let's, what I often say to leaders when I'm working with them is, you know, in the creative world where we're dealing with creative problem solving, where we're not managing people who are simply executing repetitive tasks, but are actually solving big problems and are dealing, you know, with knowledge and, you know, big issues, um, that you're actually, uh, you're actually having to create an environment where, they are essentially giving their discretionary effort to do that. In other words, leaders who are leading people like that are essentially leading volunteers, right? And you can't really expect people to put in that extra effort, which we all rely on, because it's creative and nonlinear. You must have that. Um, 
without some sort of emotional kind of energy behind it. This is something that's really interestingly researched by uh, a lot of people, notably Rob Cross at the University of Virginia, when he yeah. talks about organi organizational networks and energy networks. We know this, this is a really stuff. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic stuff. Another researcher, by the way, and this is also in some of the influence literature, but if I go back to Vivian Ming's uh, uh, work in neuroscience, she talks of this idea that we know that people who have really good outcomes in life, meaning health, wealth, well-being, sense of well-being, have three big buckets of skills. On the one hand, they're, they've got creative skills, a lot of you know curiosity, divergent thinking, innovative skills, problem-solving skills. That's one bucket. Second bucket is social skills. They've got empathy, they collaborate, they can lead, they've got ethical judgment. And the third one is the interesting one. It's this one that combines emotional intelligence, self-management, uh, grit. Angela Duckworth called it grit in her work. Um, learning, uh, learning orientation, if you think about Peter Senge's word, or um, uh, Carol Dweck's uh, kind of uh, growth mindset. This is the stuff that causes us to say to ourselves, hey, I'm curious about something. I wanna try this. I wanna get better. I wanna just keep at it. I wanna know why we're doing this. I wanna be involved. I wanna create. And these are, in my view, some of the most human skills of, of the like, but they're very self-reflective. They're very much about myself and my relationship with myself. And we know that the emotional um, energy that of, of something like purpose really helps kick that off. So it keeps people engaged and developing, which is what you want. You want people to learn about themselves and about the world while they're achieving and solving these big problems. So the emotional side is, you know, we're talking about a much deeper, we have much better research now than we did sort of 23 years ago when I, 25 years ago when I first started getting into this field from strategy, which by the way, I loved, but I always felt was missing some of this emotional uh, component. Uh, we have much better research that we're not talking here about emotions. We're talking here about emotional engagement, which is mm -hmm. a much deeper kind of concept. Emotions right. matter too, but that's the thing that's really getting people to be engaged to do these really hard things. I'm curious, is it possible to have too much purpose? Uh, it's a very, very let, let, me, let me answer that question by giving you an example. <laughs> Okay. okay. And the, yep. because I believe the answer to that question is a qualified yes. Okay. But, but you'll see how I qualify it. So I was just before at the training magazine conference while we're in the middle of this research and I'm kind of looking at great examples of purpose. You know, one of the great examples of purpose is, is, is Chipotle with their purpose, cultivate a better world that, you know, used to be kind of, it's, it's unclear where that is now, but anyway, that was sort of one, they, they had a YouTube video about it. It's in, everyone should see it. It's incredibly inspiring. Um, it's one of the best examples of emotional connection that I can think of. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's brilliant in that it's a narrative. It's done in animation form. And I mean, quite literally, here's a fast food restaurant that can cause people, it you know, brings a tear to people's eyes. Now, last week, the CEO, Seavells, uh, you know, stepped down and was replaced by Brian Nickel, the ex-CEO from Taco Bell. Okay, Chipotle's stock is down about 40% over the wow. past year, right? That's, that's painful. And uh, the executives have even gone so far in a Wall Street Journal article to admitting that they've missed some basic 
operational details. They were focusing on food safety issues. You might remember they had E. coli, norovirus, salmonella, all these kinds of things. Yeah. Was happening. So so we then went back to our research and looked at it at, at some uh, data that we got from the former chief marketing officer of McDonald's who said, you know, we had the same problem because they were trying to challenge. They were being challenged by Chipotle. And they, they sort of said, you know, we, we, we really think we need to go back to this honest food. We, we should talk about how honest our food is. Right. Rather than, you know, whatever we deliver, you know, kind of fast and, and delicious. How cheap and, it is. <laughs> what's that? How cheap it is. That's right. So here's the great thing about this story. McDonald's went down this honest food path and found that it wasn't really right because it wasn't that connected to their business drivers. They went back to their very authentic and I think totally appropriate purpose of making delicious feel-good moments easy for everyone. Very unifying concept that gets people clear and embeds the operational realities of a very complex business, operationally speaking, right? So what my what our hypothesis is here, and of course, this is going to have to take a lot bigger researchers than us to prove over time, but the hypothesis is that in the Chipotle example, while it's a very inspiring purpose, we wonder whether we're, um, it's gotten too far ahead of uh, what the nature of that business really is. Mm. That in fact, they might have gone a step too far. Not that that's the cause of these issues at all. I'm not saying that. I am saying, however, it may not have done the work that they'd hoped it to do because it may have gone a little bit too far. Think about McDonald's. What's really hot is the dollar menu, right? What's really hot is, and by the way, the people going to McDonald's who want the dollar menu are also the same people who who just came out of Whole Foods and were examining organic apples. Right. Right? Is that so true? Like, page, what's that? Is that true? I'm sorry. Well, there's some overlap, right? There's some overlap. I mean, the point is there's overlap. The point is you have to look at things in a much more micro-occasion-based way and say, what is the immediate need? What are people expecting of McDonald's in that moment? And what can they deliver on? And it goes back to the four C's. So. You know, can they actually authentically deliver on honest food or do people really believe it? And some of that's marketing, some of that's real operational capability. Our view is, our view is, we, you know, think of that's why the outside in, inside out way really seems to be resonant is that you got to make sure that you don't go too far afield from your business drivers. That's one of the biggest pieces of advice we got from, from many of our interviewees saying purpose is super important. But you make you you know it's like leadership authenticity. You can't just sort of plunk it down and hope it's going to do all of these great things if it isn't somehow linked to in everyone's mind to what we sort of do really well and who we really are about. And that gets back to this idea of excavation, not creation. So I think you can overly focus on purpose to answer your question directly, yep. and so and and go too far astray from who. For who you are as a business. So what are the implications then for how we approach developing leaders? What are the key skill sets that you see are going to be vital for leaders in the 21st century? You know, it's one, one of my one of my colleagues who, whom I work with 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 clients um, in the UK, who's actually writing a book on change uh, and is from LBS and now MIT. She she says she said to me when I took this job about 18 months ago in the CEO job, she said, you know, Michael, I based on my research, I have one piece of advice, and that is prepare to be bored. 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 And I said, excuse me, what what do you mean by bored? And she said, well, you know, you're gonna have to repeat yourself a lot. You're gonna have to stick to a lot of micro details. 
You're going to have to think about metrics. You're going to have to think about reinforcement. You're going to have to constantly be at it with people and you're not going to feel like you're being heard all the time. And I think one of the key questions, one of the key leadership um, lessons we're learning in this work is this, it, you said it yourself, this notion of iteration and stick to and grit really stands out yeah. because we're dealing with creativity creative and adaptive problem solving, and we're dealing with rewiring leaders and getting them to reorient. So we become, as leaders, more, we spend more of our time in making meaning, in creating opportunities for people to learn, and in being purposeful and getting people to connect to purpose, which is much more difficult than yeah. writing an email reply to all saying, do this. <laughs> totally. Right? I, I wish I could. I wish I could lead an organization of 135 people in in six offices around the world by doing that. But in fact, in the creative knowledge based world, we're having to spend a lot more time at that. So we're naturally finding that purpose conversations, being able to connect with purpose, becomes an important part of leadership development. And a lot of that is us as as educators holding up a mirror to our clients and helping them to connect with their purposefulness. You know. It's you, you, the first rule of purpose is find your own purpose. The first, just like the first rule of leadership authenticity is, you know, know what you're motivated by. And, and, and it's, it's a similar kind of thing that we're spending a lot more time on practice, on feedback, on um, being authentic, on, on how you show up on the energy you create, on the networks you build around yourself, and less, much less time on specific skills like strategy, marketing, and finance. And I think that is great because it's a more human challenge that we're leaning into rather than purely uh, kind of an operational or skills-based challenge. Now, the truth is we're doing a mixture of both, but that's the leadership, the leadership development implication for us is how do you get people to connect to their own sense of purpose, especially when we've spent a lot of time in organizations disconnecting from our sense of purpose? And that, I think, is where we're, we're, we're in the business now of kind of bringing people back to, to that kind of fundamental human way of being in an organization. Let's be honest. Businesses are really human systems, and they're there to achieve something. And so if we think of them more like that rather than as black boxes of production – we're going to have a lot easier time of uh, figuring out the best way to develop leaders to face the challenges that they're that these businesses are now facing. I kind of love that it's sort of bringing people and organizations back to their cornerstone. Yeah, very much. And what's interesting is that actually takes some skills. Yeah. You, you know, there it's not it's it's not always easy to do that. You have to, and and a lot of that is done in collaboration with others. And I think that's the exciting part of what about leadership development is doing this with others in your organization, your peers is so powerful. And that's one of the reasons why group learning is, in our view, simply not going away. So, Michael, we have two minutes left. So, you get one minute to tell us what are the key points you want our listeners to leave with from this conversation? What do they need to understand about purpose? One minute. You know, thank you. I, I, I really think that it's the, the thing I want folks to think about purposes, it starts with authenticity of the business. Uh, it, do, it takes a lot of socialization. Stick to it. It's a process that's really worthwhile. Uh, do it collaboratively as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and continue to um, 
uh, uh, live in this concept of what you're really there to serve. I think this idea of service is central and core to purpose. What are we there to serve? And that's one of the most human things in the world is how are we helping others in this business and how are we helping others as leaders? I think those those are critical. So we, we started by mentioning your upcoming book, The the Purpose Revolution, Rehumanizing Leadership and the Organization. At least that's the working title. Right. What's the ETA on birthing this book? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, it's interesting. We're still working on the ETA a lot. We, we keep uncovering great insights. So we sort of reshape this. Uh, it's such an undiscovered country for both of us. We're hoping it's going to be in in uh, uh next year probably 2019 2019 so, so watch this tuned. space and we will definitely share it to our network when that comes out so finally you've been listening to the future proof workplace radio show and our guest this week was michael chavez ceo of duke corporate education if people want to get hold of you michael where do they find you the best place to find us is on www.dukece.com which mm-hmm. is where anyone can get a hold of me and i'm I'm michael.chavez at dukece.com. I welcome comments and connections. Thanks so much. Michael, it's been a pleasure having you as a guest. A wonderful conversation and thought-provoking. Thank you so much, Linda. Great to have have, uh, time with you again. Any final thoughts from you before I close this out? I just have to tell you, this is always a learning experience, which is what life is all about for the 21st century. And uh, I value learning from you. And I learned a lot from you, Michael, as well. Thank you for participating with us. Thanks so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Good. To everybody who's been listening, thank you for sharing your time with us and joining us. Make sure to join us next week for another engaging conversation. Remember, the future of work is not tomorrow. The future of work is today. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.